as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot. And you know, I, I didn't even realize this, Andy, this is our 99th episode. 99. I can't Big believe 100 it's next. 100 next, and so we have actually some special plans for that, which we'll tell you at the end, so stick around. But this uh, week, Andy, you got to see everything, because first of all, I had to work, and yeah. so I was going to go catch up this morning, but uh, and we can talk more about this later when it comes out. I actually was in a movie today, so I got to Woo. be on set and uh, have a little close-up in a few scenes in a, a movie our good friend Brian Young made. Uh, so once that's out, we will definitely put it up there, and I'll, Andy, I'll let you review it, because I'll be partial. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, anyway, I, so I'll be partial too because you know Brian's a friend of mine matter. and, and the yeah. subject matter as well. So uh, it'll be hard to be objective, uh, but uh, maybe maybe we should have Brian on and have him talk about it. If yeah, definitely. I think I think that'd be fun because I know it's a it's a subject matter. It, it's about film criticism and about a, a person who's very near and dear to us. So yep, uh, who was and still still who is. But anyways, uh, this yep. week the two movies we had were The Promise and Free Fire. And I don't know which one you're going to start with. We go worst to first, so I'll let you take it from there. Let, let's start with The Promise. Uh, not a bad movie, but not a great movie. And here's why. Uh, set against the backdrop of the beginnings of World War One and the Armenian Genocide. Like you do. You can see where I'm going here. <laughs> uh, you've got a love triangle between uh, Oscar Isaac who plays an Armenian uh, Turk who is uh, the town apothecary and moves to uh, Constantinople to go to medical school and while there falls in love with, uh, with another French-Armenian girl who is also uh, in love with Christian Bale who is an American journalist Who's there to document what's going on uh, as as World War One is breaking out and uh, gets far too close to the the story of what's going on with with the Armenian genocide? Uh, it's a very tragic story uh, because it is set against the backdrop of the Armenian genocide. One point five million people yeah. were killed, uh, and it's really terrible. So it's it's hard to have a love story in there, especially a love triangle. And if you you want to kind of play that, I, I'm Team Oscar Isaac, I'm uh, Team Christian Bale, and and you just really can't do that because it's it's so tragic, and so many people are dying, and I, I have a lot of the same problems that I have with the the romance of the movie we talked about last week, Their Finest, where of course tragedy is happening and and it makes it a lot harder to enjoy uh, a good a good romance um my question for you adam uh, prior to this what what did you know about the armenian genocide i mean this is one of those things that it seems like it's it's not covered a whole lot in in most of our history no and that's that's very true i mean i i've heard of it i'm familiar with I know I've heard the basics, but I don't believe there was ever a lot of time spent on it or that we ever had to write a paper on it or even if it was a test question. I think it was just something that was kind of glossed over. Um, 
and then that was about it. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's really tough. The the movie sets it up pretty decently well, and and the important thing to understand Armenia, uh, which which is a country that is near and dear to my heart. I actually spent a week in Yerevan uh, while I was on a uh, a religiously affiliated vacation in southern Russia for two years, uh, <laughs> and. Um, uh, we we had to leave the country to renew our visas, and and so we went to Yerevan, and you had to spend some time there so you could actually get get the visas processed to to return back to Russia. So, um, the the Armenian people are just amazing. Uh, Armenia was the first country in the world who uh, had their their king adopt Christianity as their state religion. So they're the oldest Christian nation in the world, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, with the um, with the Ottoman Turks, uh, they're Muslim. The Sultan is Muslim, and that is that is kind of the issue. And uh, so, of course, they are going to be gone after as uh, as religious strife increases at the outbreak of of World War One. And uh, to this day, uh, Armenians outside of Armenia outnumber uh, Armenians who live inside Armenia. There, there are more Armenians in France and in the United States, especially in Southern California, than anywhere else in the world. Um, hmm. Because they, I didn't know that. They, they wiped out a lot of them in, uh, in the Armenian genocide uh, throughout the Middle East and then through uh, uh, basically a century of oppression under under the Soviets and uh, and the Tsar, uh, who also did not really like Armenia, um, so uh, <laughs> you know the, the these people have kind of been uh, crapped on for for over a century, and it's uh, it's really terrible, but amazing people, and I'm glad this story is being told. I wish it were uh, a little bit better of a movie. Um, the the number one highlight. Uh, at a particularly awful scene, uh, Oscar Isaac full-on ugly cries with uh, with snot and drool, and I, I don't know, maybe this is the new thing in Hollywood. It's like make people really, really ugly cry. So basically, that was that was me at the end of a Monster Calls. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it <laughs> was it, it. I mean, it was awful, and and you forget how great of an actor Oscar Isaac is. Um, Christian Bale, he puts a lot of Christian Bale into this role because he's really kind of a dick. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was the movie... say, which which Christian Bale? Because Christian Bale is a fantastic actor, but he walks that fine line between being a dickhead and and being that actor. Yeah, uh, like he he gets drunk at a party and starts to pick a fight with the Germans. And, yeah, like you do. Uh, yeah, like you do. Um, so I'm like, hey, they really like match the actor to the to the role really well. And uh, if if there's if there's another problem with this movie, it's it's very obviously made for a Western audience, and uh, there are a few parts where the American gets to play the hero. Uh, in fact, uh, James Cromwell shows up as the American ambassador in two scenes and gets to tell off the Turkish ambassador. And uh, you know, tells him exactly where he can where he can stick it, and uh, and Jean Renault shows up as a uh, a French admiral 
uh, and the French Navy shows up to help evacuate some of the uh, Armenian refugees under under Turkish artillery fire in in the film's uh, mm-hmm. uh, final climax. So, um, I, I mean, I, I guess it's it's good that we're telling that part of the story, but I also feel bad that like, yay America, yay France, kind of got uh, America. Um, yeah, exactly. There, there were a few of those America F yeah moments in here, and I'm just like, really, you guys? Really, we just can't have this be a story about uh, the Armenians? and No, because and, this is Trump's America now, so. Yeah, so, uh, but but still not a, not a bad movie, um, just not a great movie. Uh, five out of ten. Um, okay, so middling, just it's there. Yeah, it's, it, it's good in a lot of ways. It's bad in some ways, and um, but this is one of those areas of history that's so underwhelmingly reported on that it might be important to watch just so you understand the gravity of all of this, uh, and that this did happen. Uh, the extermination of 1.5 million people uh, because they're Christian, that is important. And it is also incredibly important for what is going on in the world today because you have the elimination of millions of other people in the same neck of the the world also because they're Christian. So, um, in fact, in, in near the end of the movie, they're like, well, well, what do we do? Well, we can escape to Aleppo. And you're like, no, no don't no. go to Aleppo. <laughs> we, we know what's going to happen there in a hundred years. And, um, but, uh, you, you understand, like, this has been going on, um, for a long time and it, and it still goes on and in, and for that fact only it's, it's worth, it's worth looking into. Now on to a somewhat cheerier subject. Guns (laughs) and explosions. Guns and explosions. Uh, we have the movie Free Fire. Free Fire basically asks the question, what if we took the climactic gunfight from a movie like Reservoir Dogs and made a whole movie out of it? And you I would have... say with the right director, you could do that. I don't know if this person is the right director, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben Wheatley and and his wife, who, is, who also serves as editor and co-writer, uh, have, have made this movie. It is 90 minutes long. And uh, this would have made a really good 60 or 70 minute movie. And they stretched it out just a little bit too much because uh, the, the premise at, at some points gets just a little bit too played out. But there are some really cool parts in this. Uh, what, what you have here, uh, you have the Irish mob slash uh, the IRA um, back in late 70s Boston they want to buy some guns uh, so you have Killian Murphy uh, who is leading the Irish contingent uh, and they are trying to buy guns um, from Charlto Copley uh, who is an international arms dealer uh, he gets to play up his South African accent and does it incredibly well so if you are a fan of Charlto Copley's normal voice um this script was obviously written with him in mind or they allowed him to improvise because he is he is really funny in this role um 
and setting up the deal between the two of them are Army Hammer and Brie like. Larson. Yeah, and, and both like of them, <laughs> both of them are amazing. And um, so what happens is the deal starts to go down in this uh, abandoned factory warehouse uh, somewhere, and uh, right as the deal is is about to be done with. Two of the low-level mooks who are supposed to take the guns, exchange the cash, and load up the, the guns into the, the other car uh, get into a fight about one of the other's cousins and a, uh, a barroom encounter and barroom brawl that happened the night before. And of course, with everyone having guns in easy access, bullets start flying and people get shot. Uh, the See, funny sounds thing, like it's a lot of fun. It it should be uh, the the problem is, I I get the feeling that if a gun battle like this were to break out, I would expect more people to be better shots, but very few people die in the initial hail of bullets. Well, that's this, why they have so many bullets. This is the literally the gang who can't shoot straight, and so what happens is everyone gets shot somewhere and are wounded in varying degrees and so it's essentially a bunch of wounded people trying to take each other out through uh, the next hour and the the hijinks that that, that gets into um, lots of bullets not as much dialogue uh, a lot of gallows humor and very interesting and you will never hear John Denver's Annie song the same way ever again uh, used to great effect at, at some point in this is it, movie. Is it as, as good as, uh, as Freebird in Kingsman as far as never hearing that song the same way again? Yeah, or Freebird or um, the other one I was thinking of is, is Steeler's Wheel in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. So, oh, and speaking of, uh, of uh, Kingsman, we get our second trailer the day this episode comes out, so hopefully Ooh. you'll hear us first and then you'll hop on and you will get a look at the the Golden Circle, which I'm very excited for. I'm I'm very excited for that as well. We, we loved the Kingsman. That was a that was a great movie. That was one of the the first movies we talked about on here. Yeah, um, it was. Our, that was and that was the one that episode. came out and surprised us because I remember. And I'm sorry not to go off track, but I remember seeing the the trailer for that and I was like, this looks really cool. I like the comic, but it's got to be a fine line. But then I, I totally forgot that Matthew Vaughn was doing it. And he could he can do no wrong. So <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it's too bad that Matthew Vaughn wasn't involved in this because you look at a movie like Layer Cake and this movie really wishes it were Layer Cake. Uh, I mean, this this movie wishes it were Kingsman. The real problem is the, the premise just kind of runs out of steam and you it ceases to be interesting when you just have a bunch of wounded people trying to shoot at each other and yell at each other for, for the rest of it. Parts of it are amazing, and parts of it are, are not so good, and you end up looking at your watch and being like, are, are we still here? What, what's going on? Even though this movie's only 90 minutes, it felt a little bit longer, which a movie with, with so many bullets shouldn't have felt like. Well, that's how Ghost in the Shell was, too. It, was, it just dragged on forever and ever and was so in love with itself that it didn't want to finish up and wrap things up. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this movie had that same problem. It, it wasn't trying to be pretentious or in love with itself or its own concept. It just 
wanted to do a bunch of stuff. It, it really wanted to throw a bunch of stuff out there and see if any of it worked. And about half of it does. And half of it works really well. So I ended up at a six and a half out of ten. Um, I'm one of the few people who wasn't like meh about this movie and or wasn't like completely crazy about it. Like mm-hmm. the the reaction seems to have been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you have to go see it, or people just kind of shrug their shoulders. I'm not I'm not in either of those camps. I'm like there's a lot here to really like, but it, it, it has some other elements that I, I think are not done quite as well. So. Cool. Well, overall, again, kind of lackluster week at the movies. Uh, Fate of the Furious is still the big one out there that everyone's trying to yeah. uh, going to see. And weirdly enough, Boss Baby's holding on there. Like I didn't, they didn't show it to us. It was during Comic Con, so I wasn't about to go see it. Um, that one's making a pretty strong re coming back it's been like number two of the box office for the last i think three weeks i want to say yeah kids movies i mean it, it, that i did beauty and the beast this week so yeah well they're you know parents need to go stick their kids in a movie theater every once in a while and that so they will go see any darn thing so, yeah cool well the last thing to talk about is the guardians of the galaxy 2 sound set list uh released this week uh, and of course, if you hop on Spotify, you can immediately find a, a playlist because these are all you know, songs that have been out there for a while, with the exception of the new song "Guardians Inferno," which is by the Sneepers. And I'm very, very happy they added this because that band is so incredibly hard to find sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that the, the Sneepers and Mr. Mr. Hasselhoff himself came out for that one. But Andy, um, talk to us about a couple of the songs you like in here because my thing is I'm going over this and I've, I'm going through and I've been listening to it. And I know all the songs, but the weird thing is, like, I don't know my name, which maybe makes me a bad person. But I know when I pop a song on, I'm like, oh, I know this song. I know this song. And then I go to look at the name. I'm like, that's what it's called? <laughs> yeah. it's Well, and that's what's great about the Guardian soundtrack. And it's, it's so cool because I came to this really cool realization about the Guardian soundtrack. Is that Meredith Quill is all through the entire first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. She is the glue that holds it together. You see her at the beginning, you see her at the end, and in between, her spirit is felt every time Peter plays a song from that. And see, I actually got in an argument today with someone who uh, said that her part in the movie was useless. I'm like, oh, them's fighting words. No, 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 no. We got into it for a bit while we were doing some lighting. (laughs) Meredith Quill and Thanos are off screen the entire time but they are the most important people in the entire movie. And um, so the question I ask myself is, if I am dying of cancer, what am I going to put on a tape for my son as my kind of last will and testament? What am I going to tell him about his future? And she seemed very intent in her last time with, with her son Peter to tell him about uh, his father and who he was. And we know that we get to meet his father in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said to myself, like, what what would be in in that? And so I actually played a game with, uh, with friends on Facebook. I said, okay, everybody choose 20 songs that you think are going to be in there. Uh, I actually won because I got two of them completely right outright and then the other 18 were completely wrong uh it was a fun game 
Uh, the, the two that I got outright uh, were Electric Light Orchestra, Mr. Blue Sky, um, mm-hmm. which that's just a great song. And I, I love Electric Light Orchestra. In fact, uh, I, uh, you and I both uh, downloaded and played the, the Telltale Guardians and of the Galaxy. And I was just about to, to recommend that. <laughs> um, and, and you go up and, and at the, the title screen, they play Electric Light uh, Orchestra, Living Thing. And I'm like, this, this band is so Guardians. And, and James Gunn has said, like, if the Guardians of the Galaxy had a house band, it would be Electric Light Orchestra. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really glad that they got that. Um, and the, the other one that I said uh, definitely should be on there is Cat Stevens' Father and Son. Mm-hmm. Which, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, I'm like, this is perfect there is there is a lot here that that has a lot of resonance for what i think is going to be going on in the dynamic between peter and his father and um and and i think what what meredith quill is trying to bequeath to her son and say about their relationship um and and it's it's just a good song i i also went back and i said um, Meredith Quill seems to like like cheesy pop songs, um, like the fact that she included uh, the Pina Colada song and everything like that. And I'm like, <laughs> who, what sort of soft rock would be on here? And I'm like, oh, Cat Stevens. Oh my gosh, Cat Stevens' Father and Son is the perfect song, isn't it? Yeah, totally got that. Uh, one of my favorite songs on here, um, George Harrison, My Sweet Lord. Mm-hmm. I love, 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 love that song. Uh, it is it is my favorite song that uh, that George Harrison did not as a Beatle, as a solo artist. Uh, and I, I got into a fight with someone, um, our, our good friend Mr. Ryan Call from uh, from Salt Lake Comic Con, uh, because of a very famous copyright uh, infringement case uh, about this song, uh, because. The uh, the court found that uh, George Harrison, uh, either intentionally or possibly inadvertently, ripped off a song uh, from the the soul band The Chiffons called "He's So Fine." And if you listen to "He's So Fine" and you listen to "My Sweet Lord," they have the exact same melody. It's uh, and it's very clear. It's very much the exact same song. And I'm like. Yeah, but that's not what makes the song good, because the the melody of the song is actually pretty. It's pretty lame. It's it's pretty normal. But what what it's got going for it is it's got this amazing slide guitar uh, riff that shows up a couple of times in in the song in the opening, and then again uh, later through the bridge. Um, it's got this this up tempo key shift later on in it, and it, it shifts into this higher gear. And the part that I most love about this, and and why it makes it a very me song, uh, he starts off uh, with uh, background singing in the background, and people are singing hallelujah, and then they're they're doing that through the first verse and a half, and then it starts transitioning into them instead singing Hare Krishna, mm-hmm. Hare Rama. Dalai Lama and, and and back to Hallelujah 
And I'm like, what an amazing statement. Um, because the the lyrics for this, um, George Harrison saying like, I really want to see you. I really want to be with you. But it takes so long. Um, he's He's singing about a relationship to the spiritual. And he starts off from this place of, of Christianity and hallelujah and transfers it into the Eastern. What a beautiful statement about life and ecumenicism and humanity that we are all material beings or we're all spiritual beings in a material world on a spiritual journey and how each of us relate to the supernatural, uh, the the spiritual, in in different ways, mm-hmm. but it's all the same. It's all the same way that all of us, any of us who are trying to live up to some form of religion or spirituality or ethos, are all striving to do it, and we all are trying, but it's hard. And we can't quite make it, and we don't live up to it. And that's what I love about that song. I mean, th- oh, this has just become me, uh, Andy, talking about why he <laughs> loves fine. George Harrison. Um, but uh, supposedly, this has a lot to do with um, Ego, the Living Planet, and his place as a sort of god entity in the universe. Yeah, so. I was reading up on that too. Uh, Ro- Rolling Stone did a really cool. Uh, article not only kind of breaking the songs down but also interviewing James Gunn and why he chose them and everything else so uh, if you just go Google Guardians of the Galaxy 2 soundtrack it's like one of the first articles that'll pop up so. yeah it's and it's great because he, he goes through all of them and, and why he chose them Adam is is there something on here that, that stuck out to you that you really liked because I can um, I've I always can been on. a fan of Cheap Trick and Surrender has always been one of their like one of my favorite songs they did uh, yeah. I don't know if it's just because I played it literally 500 times in Guitar Hero, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that's always been the one that stuck in my head. And like, no matter if no matter what I'm doing, if I'm changing the radio station, uh, if it's on there, it's like it's like I have to stop and listen to it. Well, but, and again, thinking about the lyrics, "Mommy's all right, Daddy's all right," and you know, uh, what a cool idea to pass along to to your kid as kind of a last will and testament. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's the one thing is as much as there's zaniness and there's you know a, a talking tree and a, and a raccoon is that the the heart of these movies has always been family and yep. about the misfit group of outcasts who come together and find constant you know they they control each other and become that family that they never really had. I mean, you look at Gamora; she was pretty much disowned and by her own father, or yeah, you know, wasn't really her father, but that's a different story. But raised as her, yeah, right. Drax lost his family. Uh, Rocket never had a family. Groot, we don't know anything about. And, of course, with Star-Lord, yeah, he loses his mom. That's, like, one of his last memories of Earth before being kidnapped and being forced to be a pirate. So yep. the fact that and, these random people can come together and, and form that bond is what the whole idea of the Guardians of the Galaxy is about. And and the fact that one of the songs we knew going into this that was going to be on here was Fleetwood Mac's The Chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, immediately set up what what this movie was going to be all about um the the history of Fleetwood Mac and the recording of rumors and how uh all of them were sleeping with each other uh (laughs) some of them knew about uh their affairs and some of them didn't and 
like and and some of them were having affairs with like uh, sound technicians, and it was it was crazy. But uh, Fleetwood Mac regarded themselves as this this family. So you had Lindsay Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks in in a relationship, and that was a big part of it. But of course, they're all sleeping with other people too, and so much of this is is all about that. And uh, the song "The Chain" uh, is is them kind of talking about that, and it's so weird because the band is breaking apart, but also coming closer together at the same time and um how even even though their love is taking different forms you can't break the chains that bind them together and Mm -hmm. i can't wait to see that used as a conceit on film and uh and again james gunn said that this was an essential part of the film and it's used several times throughout the movie which i'm like oh wow because originally i thought i'm like there's really only one piece of music in there that really works as, as something that seems like a movie soundtrack to me. And that's the breakdown at the end, which is what you hear in the trailer uh, where it gets all bassy and, and they're doing this kind of double time thing and um, running through the shadows, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how they're going to actually use the rest of it uh, throughout there. Uh, the the one the one song that surprised me most on here, uh, "Flashlight" by uh, by Parliament, uh, George Clinton and the P Funk All Stars. Um, <laughs> I was like, what what the heck? I I mean, there are so many better Parliament songs in in my mind. Um, you know, I I love "We Want the Funk," uh, "Tear the Roof Off the Sucker." That is such a great song. And so I'm like, why would they use this song, Flashlight? Um, I mean, it's, it's a good song. It's a fine song. Um, but it's there's, there's a little piece in it that everybody's got a little flashlight. Uh, I'm like, oh, I get it. That's a, that's a, that's a cool thought. I like that. Um, there's, there's always some extra meaning. Uh, and I have in James Gunn we trust as well. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, I I mean, he kind of had carte blanche to choose whatever he wanted. So I was actually surprised that this soundtrack actually seems less mainstream than the first one. I feel like I knew the I knew the the songs on the first one better coming in than than this one. Um, I expected to see more like really, really mainstream stuff. Uh, I expected to hear Stevie Wonder. Um, I expected, I don't know, maybe The Clash. Or... Yeah, exactly. I was thinking The Clash, more kind of punk influence. Mm-hmm. And um, no, um, uh, like some of these songs I had literally never heard before. Uh, Wham Bam Shangalang. Uh, that is a fun song, but I had never heard it before. Uh, and of course, Guardians Inferno, we never heard that. Uh, so I, hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Glenn Campbell's Southern Nights. Like, I was aware of it. I knew what it was, but not ever a song I would have picked to, to be on here. Um, yeah, and also, it's weird you put the sneakers on there because they're an almond-shaped band. And um, you don't see many of those anymore, so... 
feel like this is an inside joke that like five I think people the, will get, but but the people who will will be laughing their asses off right about now. So yes, exactly. So uh, just, just go go Google Sneeper. It's yeah. there's a long story from about a little over a year ago about that, and it'll make lots more sense. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, cool. So so let's talk about our 100th episode, Adam. Yeah. So uh, 100 episode is our next one, and. We were talking about it before we started recording because this week there is literally nothing being screened. I mean, you mentioned the, the circles coming out, but they're not showing it to us. And even if they did, I mean, we could try to put something together. But the circle doesn't seem like a movie that kind of represents how far we've come. I mean, it's 100 episodes is pretty damn long. Yeah. Um, so then you had a really good idea. So I'm going to let you go ahead and share it because you came up with it. Well, we've we've got Guardians of the Galaxy coming out. Hell yeah, and, we do. Um, so... Uh, and and because I I have some other work commitments that are going to keep me uh, from from maybe being able to record next week, why don't we just wait until uh, we'll we'll take a week off and then we'll do Guardians of the Galaxy for our 100th episode. Yeah, and, that, that's more uh, that's more fitting for what you know, kind of a big celebration episode. And uh, I mean, we won't, we've only taken what three weeks off, I think. I mean, we've been pretty yeah. pretty damn regular. One thing else, because you were in the hospital, um, yeah. I think I was sick. And then we were both at Comic Con and nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's it's been fairly rare that that we've had to take a week off, and and usually for a very legitimate reason. Uh, I feel like this episode, if if you want to think of this episode as a as a double sized episode, we we could have done a Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack breakdown for next week. We just decided to put it on here instead, and then our 100th episode can be all about guardians and and us seeing it and yeah and i think that'll be that's again more of a, a celebratory thing than trying to shoehorn in circle so yeah yeah uh, a circle just doesn't seem like quite quite like something we should do and i'm like well you could but like, i'm i'm sure one of us do. will see it and you know we always have our reviews up over at big shiny robot so yes keep an eye there but um anyways yeah it's almost 200 episodes it's kind of crazy we've got this far but uh, i'm really excited about it thank you to everyone who's been on the journey with us the whole time uh, but until two weeks from now hail satan and have a lovely afternoon Thank you.